spinning around and around and around and around and I fell off. Goodness, oh, no. obviously ran up to you and said... Are you hurt? And you said... Hurt? You didn't wave to me once. I went around 20 times. <laughs> look, Alfred Desmond. Hello, Alfred. G'day, how are you, mate? Oh, very well. Nice oh, look, Norman Norton hasn't got the gear on. Hello, Norman. Hello there. I'm naked. I've just got out of the shower. <laughs> you see? I'm wondering what you... Little one. I'm wondering what you've been doing. How can you burp and talk at the same time? <laughs> I wasn't burping. Oh. I... I... <laughs> Uh, we have uh, we have Charlie Who upstairs. Ah, oh, yeah, I am up here. Then there's the man from Jupiter. Hello, Earthlings. A 30-second solo for Murray, our audio engineer. It's looking good. What about elephants, Murray? Don't forget the old elephants. Hey, hello, Mrs. Mack. You must sound a bit like Alfred Desmond. I had a couple of people over for dinner last night. Um, <laughs> it's close enough being a sort of social sort of cat that I am. Yes. Um, Hello, how are you? Very good, Angel. Very good, Angel. I sound very much like a feel you need, I know. Yes, you do. There's no face difference. Do you like, do you like my new flaps? Yes. Oh, he's going to toss himself off, Mr. No, Mr. Oh, he's had an animal. Oh! <laughs> animal, no! I- Clearly I will do anything to be on television, including wearing pantyhose with holes cut in, nothing on the chest. Maroon! Maroon! I'm on the lagoon! <laughs> I told you this would happen if you didn't chlorinate your spark. John, could you remo- remove the photos that are on the wall oh, there that dear. we were... Oh. Black shirt is Daryl. He's the host, and he's been doing it for 20 years. And if he ever stops, you won't be able to go to a private school. <laughs> anyway, we're here with uh, 20 Elvis Presleys and one idiot dressed as Elvis Costello. <laughs> Rita, I just love having you there, right? If you're tuned into that and you're wondering what this is, <laughs> we have a very special guest lined up for uh, this morning's um, 10 o'clock spot, and it's none other than the sound audio um, engineer for Hey Hey It's Saturday. And uh, welcome to the program, Murray Tregoning. How are you? Good morning, Jules. How are you? You've been having a few technical problems, Jules. I was just saying, I was hoping you weren't listening. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, radio. That, hey? Well, you know, when you're gonna when you're gonna go live, you've got to be prepared for all sorts of marbles to fall out. <laughs> you certainly do. Flying by the seat of your pants. How is the beautiful Danny Long Rangers this morning? They're lovely, thank you. And mind you, I can't see a lot of it. I have black curtains all around me here in the studio. Very uh, pretty look it is too. But uh, it was quite nice on the drive down here from Macclesfield. So lovely morning out there today. How about you? You up in Sydney? Yeah. How's the current temperature down there? Oh, it's hot in the studio and probably about <laughs> probably about a nice balmy 12 degrees outside. <laughs> 12 degrees, yeah. No, it'll be lovely, yes. Very no, good. Um, Sydney, Sydney, they tell me it's going to be uh, 
26 or something today, but it doesn't look like it outside. I can tell you it's very overcast. Right. Now we have, so it's, I have a, I have a few questions for you this morning. Why, why did we not hear your voice on, um, Hey Hey It's Saturday when you're obviously such a fabulous, um, presenter? Have you worked in radio yourself before? Only community radio, but uh, the problem is, Jules, if they gave me a talking stick, I'd never shut up. I get told that all the time, so we're going to have a lot of fun this morning, aren't we? <laughs> there was a lot of gaffer tape over my mouth. In fact, the problem was, uh, Jules, I had, an old, I had two older sisters, um, and one being seven years older than me. I was taken to the doctor when I was uh, three and a half, four, because I wasn't speaking. I didn't have to. Oh. All I had to do was go, I was a little emperor, and all I had to do was go, eh, 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 <laughs> and she would do all the talking for me. <laughs> so they thought I was a mute. So I was taken to the doctor, and that's why I've made up for it ever since, you see. Oh, so that... good morning to my sister who's listening on the Gold Coast. Oh, hey, listeners as far as wide as Queensland. And look, I, while, I'm at, while we're talking about where our listeners are, um, hello to yeah. David Patch, who's listening in the States on Friday night. He always tunes into the program. Um, and Lovely. Yep, and we've got a couple of listeners in um, Norway and people who listen back in the UK. So um, we're shouting out to you guys in Scotland, and you're all free and allowed to walk around, and we're not, so we're very jealous. Anyway, moving along. <laughs> Some, actually, my brother lives over there and he will know. We were, we were big Hey Hey It's Saturday fans as kids. That was our regular, I don't know, morning for a while. And then it was evening. It sort of moved around on the program grid. How did you get involved with um, Hey Hey It's Saturday? Being in the wrong place at the wrong time, Jules. <laughs> uh, I started my career, I'll just give you a bit of background. I started my career in uh, television in... 1970, yes I am old, um, I was a mere 16-year-old when I started at Channel 7 in Melbourne as a trainee uh, after, ad, um, asking, uh, after answering an ad in the paper and uh, I was lucky enough to get um, the one job out of uh, 70 applicants. Um, Goodness. I, I was, had a really big interest in, in music and audio, audio fascinated me and uh, I applied for jobs while I was still in high school. I went straight from high school into television which was an amazing uh, an amazing uh, experience um, you know my mother said to me you be very careful when you go into television it's full of alcoholics <laughs> loose women homosexuals and that was only the first week <laughs> how did you how did you um, get such a skill in the audio engineering department before you you, you got there because you obviously you're pretty well versed at a young age yeah, well, I, I look, I was fascinated by how, you know, music got from there, from a microphone onto that record, you know, in my in my bedroom. And, you know, I, I read a few books and things, and I, I was, you know, fascinated. I mean, you know, growing up in the 60s, I mean, as you well, well, you won't know because you're a, bit, a little younger than me. I, I grew I'm, up in the 70s, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just See, get that I'm, out of the way. 60, yeah, I'm 68, 1953. So I was born... Uh, you know, television didn't start in, in Melbourne and Sydney or Australia until 1956. So I'm a child of television. You know, I was three when television started. So mm. that whole television and then the music revolution out of, you know, the Beatles and all that in the, in the 60s. So we were just you know, all fascinated by all that, you know, the music, and television, film, all that stuff. So, you know, I was, I was just, you know, I, I don't know. I was, I was fascinated by television. And, um, so I was lucky enough to get into it. And, um, you know, I was watching television from, I guess, my first, you know, uh, memories of television was from about 1958 onwards. And uh, 
we didn't have a television until I think about 1959, but the people next door did. You know, people used to, you know, line up down the, in front of the, you know, department stores and watch it through the window, you know, mm. standing in the street. Um, it was fascinating. Um, and uh, I didn't, you know, in my wildest dreams, think of the pe- people that I was watching on television that 14 years later I'd be working with them, you know. Mm. Um, and I got to Channel 7 and, of course, uh, Channel 7 was the first on air in Melbourne with the Olympic Games. And uh, I was working with the pioneers of Australian television, you know, 14 years later, which was fascinating. And it was such a steep learning curve, but I just learned as much as I could. I was a sponge. You know? <laughs> and we worked long hours and I worked on every facet of television in the in the way of audio. But we also learned, you know, a fair amount of vision and things. And we did OBs and, you know, variety shows, drama, everything, you know. And those first three years, it was television school, basically. And I learned so much. You sent me um, a fascinating uh, write-up from the um, Australian Commercial Entertainment uh, Technologies Association website, which I watched. It was about an hour long, and I watched it yesterday, an interview with yourself Um uh, and I can't remember the interviewer's name. I've lost it. I should have looked that up properly. Um, but he, um, that's, that's really an incredible history. And you, you talked quite a bit about how the, um, yeah, was it only three cameras for the Olympic Games they had for the? Yes, yes. I mean, they had an OB truck. They had five cameras in total. And they used to take, you know, studio cameras out to do OBs. And, and they joined forces with the ABC to do the Melbourne Olympics. But yeah, when you think of how many cameras do the Olympics now, hundreds of cameras. But, you know, in those days, they and, and, and TV, the TV networks all, you know, um, banded together and shared facilities. Um, you know, there's um, it's just an amazing story. And, and uh, they were known, the Melbourne Games, as the friend, friendly Olympics between the athletes. And, and that was really the start of, uh, of television coverage of the modern Olympics in 1956 after after the Second World War, of course. So that was Channel, Channel 7 covered that, did they? And then you moved to Channel, Channel 9? 7. So, yeah, I was uh, so I was a trainee. I started uh, at Channel Seven on the uh, princely sum of uh, twenty six dollars a week before tax um, <laughs> in nineteen seventy, um, and uh, I was a junior trainee. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, in three years uh, training adults because um, I'd been kicked up from working on the floor on the boom microphone and you know winding cables, doing all that. To being the audio operator for the uh, the six six o'clock or six thirty news and uh, current affair programs etc. and um, and I was pretty jacked off that I was still being paid junior money and uh, I was training senior people and uh, I was poached by Channel Nine who uh, offered me something like you know two hundred dollars a week and uh, off, off I went and uh, of course going even though Channel Seven was fabulous and I learned so much going from across the city from uh, South Melbourne to Richmond was like going to Hollywood. I mean, Channel 9 called Television City in uh, Bendigo Street, Richmond, was like Hollywood. It was just amazing. Uh, the amount of production that came out of that place, it was just, yeah, Hollywood. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, um, five nights of variety. There was everything. There was three studios working round the clock. Um, and... What I had applied, I mean, I still apply, and I say this to young people that I mentor even to this very day, things that I learned in those first three years of television, um, I still apply to today. I mean, look, 
things have changed, technology's changed, but basically physics and, you know, microphone placement things hasn't changed. And I was fortunate that I was mentored by those pioneers that, that did television. I mean, people like uh, uh, Bruce Adderley at Channel 7 and uh, Ian McLeod and uh, Barry Fernandes. I learned so much in those first three years. And then poached by Colin uh, Stevenson, I went to, to Nine and worked with those guys. And, and then, of course, I met um, Daryl Summers and, and Ernie Carroll um, and John Blackman doing Hey Hey at Saturday. I mean, I started... It was just by accident that whole program happened. Um, I arrived there. The program, as you well know, is uh, coming up for its 50th anniversary it that started um, yes. uh, on the 9th of October, and we'll be celebrating that. Um, uh, so it started on the 9th of October, 1971. I got there in May 73, and so did John. Uh, John was just the duty booth announcer. He used to come and go next on 9, and it would do... They had commercial tags on the end of film and videotape commercials, you know, available at Walton's, Lyre, and Big <laughs> uh, And all those were live. Uh, later on, we recorded them. But, um, and John would always be there live. He would do an eight-hour shift, right? And he'd be waiting for a film break or a news break or something so he could get his head on the camera. And uh, so he would hang around, and we were doing... Uh, hey Hey started as a morning hosting of uh, cartoons. That's right. Um, and uh, so we went for three hours from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, sorry, 11 a.m., not 11 p.m., uh, <laughs> three hours. And, um, Ernie Carroll, uh, who later became Ozzy Ostrich, Ernie was a comedy writer for Graham Kennedy, who was also on the Tarek show, people remember, back in the 50s. And uh, he was Uncle Ernie, and he was Professor Ratbaggy. And um, Ernie uh, was the producer of the kids' show. And uh, he had hired Daryl, believe it or not, auditioned him and hired Daryl, who was very young. Daryl was, I was only 19 when I went to nine, and Daryl was only 21, 22, um, yeah, I would think. And um, anyway, uh, the co-host, they decided, should be somebody, you know, a little prominent, perhaps a sports person. So they got um, Peter McKenna. Now, I don't know if you remember, Peter McKenna was Collingwood's leading goal kicker. So it was the original hosts were Peter McKenna and Daryl Summers. And Studio One, where Hey Hey was done from on a Saturday morning live, also hosted World Championship Wrestling on a Sunday morning. And the wrestling ring would be set up, um, ready to be done with Jack Little, and, you know, World Championship Wrestling. Um, and uh, I can remember that. Darryl, Dad used to have us sitting watching that as well. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Aussie, who'd been made for the Tarak show, 
and uh, been made by a beautiful um, Austrian puppet maker in Melbourne. And so Aussie came out of the suitcase and sat on the desk with Daryl. And there that's you when go. So for you, and were you always in the booth, or because they look at you, you look back at the snaps of the, and I've, it's been really quite a joy watching a few little flicks of um, Hey Hey it's Saturday, and I can't wait to see the fiftieth anniversary. But yeah. you, um, you would have been like recording the voice of, of Ernie, what down on the floor, out of out of shot of yeah. the screen. Yeah. Is that would that so have been? I was doing yeah. So in the early days, I was mixing all the microphones and adding the sound effects as well. So as, as it progressed, I wasn't ever asked to do the sound effects or anything. So I arrive on the first day, the first week at Channel 9, and uh, I'm training as a trainee to, you know, know the, the ropes of different equipment than I had. we had at 7. And uh, I arrive on the Saturday morning to do this Hey Hey at Saturday, which I had looked at while I was putting Channel 7 program to where the, the Saturday before. I thought, hmm, I better have a look what I'll be doing next week. So I, on the television, in the control room at Channel 7, I looked at Channel 9. I thought, oh, these two guys, that's the first time I ever spied Daryl and this bird. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. That'll be fun. Next one. Anyway, I arrive and Frank Turner is one of the old audio operators that's been there basically from the start at Channel 9. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, now, oh, 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 somebody hasn't plugged the microphones. Oh, the assistant has arrived. This is about quarter to eight. We're on air at eight o'clock. He said, oh, I better go and plug some microphones in. It'll be other, very quiet if there's no microphones plugged in. Um, uh, do you know how to drive this desk? I went, oh, yeah, I've got a fair idea. He said, good, you're on air. <laughs> I went, oh, thanks, Frank. He said, Oh, by the way, in the first segment, if they ask for any sound effects, they ask for a plane or a train or whatever. Um, there's, there's some cartridges here, audio sound effects. Down. Just play anything. Oh, right, Frank, good, right. And in Studio One also during Monday to Friday, that was uh, the new studio. And uh, what I'm saying in audio cartridges, audio cartridges are tape loops that you use on radio and television. That when you recorded them, they would put a start pulse on and a stop pulse. So... You could um, you could hit them and they would instantly start a quarter inch tape, but in a enclosed cartridge. So they uh, not so like a not like a cassette where you've got to actually press the button, or they. That's right. Yeah, that's right. They'd automatically cue. So uh, take an example for a shotgun effect, right? You I, could put on. I have a, one. I loop. have one. I have one, but it's much easier to find them. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, you had a 20, if you had a twenty second loop, right? You could instantly, um, you could put like five shotguns. You go, when you recorded them, put the stop watch, you go bang, and it go bang, bang, and it stop, bang, and it stop, bang. Like, like you can do it with a computer now, of course, but you can't obviously do it, you know, um, as fast on, on tape that you could on a computer. So you could basically take a cartridge, put it into the machine, and push the button, and it would go, lift the fader, obviously, and it would go. So, as I progressed in my career, I could basically find anything. I had 2,000 of these cartridges in the end. Mm. I could find anything and load it and put it on air within three to five seconds. So, so what, what's happened to, what happens to all those kinds of... Um, so Two questions. One, what happens to all the memorabilia? But two, you actually put out a, a, a vinyl record. I've, I was looking up to see if I could actually get it if it had been made digital, but it hasn't. I'd love to get a copy no. of it. And it's got all the sound effects on it. How, how do you queue up vinyl? That would have, is that what you did in the early, even before the uh, cartridge tax? Well, well, believe it or not, a lot of the sound effects, so why they had sound effects for news is most of the film in the 70s was shot as silent 16mm film. So it would be processed and it would be put to air and there would be a live voiceover and you would put sound effects.
effect. So a sound effects person would be employed to put traffic noise, crowd noise, whatever the film was. You would preview it before it went to air quickly, and you would kind of know what was coming up. So you'd put traffic oh. noise under if it was, just, you know, whatever. Okay. So. so a lot of those sound effects came off 78 records, would you believe, not even 33. So, um, in fact, the elephants that I used to play on Hey 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 Saturday, they came <laughs> off of 78. So how do you cue that up in, on like on a snap demand? Well, you cue them up. Well, oh, of course, you're, you're a radio presenter, but you're very young. In the old days, <laughs> we, we used to cue. We used to cue thirty-three and seventy-eight records with a stylus on a turntable and hold it, right? Uh, and you would just hold it, and you would let it go. So you would be cueing it, and you would be talking on the air, and then you would let the record go, and it would. I, I fiddled with seventy eights when I first started, and then we moved studios. And the, unfortunately, the um, the record players, or there was two of them, um, aren't in this studio yeah. anymore. And I have enough trouble just figuring out the other technicalities of, of a desk. I've noticed, Jules. I've noticed. <laughs> but um, uh, having said that, the tapes. So if you had two thousand cassettes um, in yeah. your, I don't know, octopus arm. <laughs> yeah. So what's and, happened and to all of that? Like what's happened to all of that material? Is it still of like where has that gone? I have it in storage. Right. And it'll probably go to the archives. Problem with the cartridges is they all have pressure pads, which are a foam rubber, uh, and it's all perished. So you can still they still make them in America. So I could probably put foam rubber. I've still got machines that they will play on, but of course that's all obsolete now. It's all gone to hard disk and, and digital. But um, I, I still have all the all the sound effects on on uh, hard drive. So anything you want, uh, Jules, I can you know play for you. I can email it to you. There we go. I, I like this idea. Well, I did look up a couple of sounds um, today just to uh, see if I could yeah. find the old stuff, but I don't think I found anything quite as good. So you 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 did the uh, the whip cracking sound effect for my listeners will be able to hear it. You may not be able to hear it um, yeah. for um, Dickie Nee. <laughs> invented Dickie Near, that was really funny because and, and none of this was planned, George, you've got to remember so, in the early days, I just started playing sound effects uh, in under what Daryl and Ernie were talking about, Ozzy were talking about, and John would add voices, so I, I would you know, they were talking about something, and I just started and I, had, I didn't even meet them for about three weeks or four weeks of the show, and then they came up to see me after the show, and they went, hey, what you're doing is fabulous, can you just keep doing that, that's great, because that gives us you know, it feeds us something it gives us something to play of. Um, can you just keep doing it? And I went, sure. So that's how it started. So um, they just said, hey, Nuz, you know, would you just keep doing it? And um, that's where it evolved. And the same with John. You know, I mean, Daryl held up a, a paint, because kids used to send in drawings and things. And um, that's right. They, they held up this angel. I just, I can remember it vividly. And we're talking about 19, or oh, say 75. And this little, you know, drawing of an angel that a six-year-old had sent in. And Daryl says, knowing John was in the booth, I wonder if he can speak. <laughs> <laughs> John, who at that stage is smoking, you know, probably uh, 40 cigarettes a day. Oh, you know? really? <laughs> and he's gone, hello, Daryl. You know, it was really positive, <laughs> which just cracked everybody up. And, of course, I found a half list, and it just built. Every week it just built. 
Did, so you, you didn't record your the sounds yourself? You found recordings and um, and played those? Oh, the sound effects? Some of them, yes, I did record some, but most of them, yeah, I found on libraries. Mm. Uh, and I just scoured, or I would go, the big thing of Channel 9 in those days was it also had a radio station called 3AK. Uh, even though 3AK had become, well, it did become Beautiful Music Station, it was one of those, but it, it was a rock station, and they had all the stuff going back from mm, probably back to the 40s yep. in their record library. And I would go back, I would just go through their record library and I would grab music, you know, just music grabs that I thought might be good, you know, uh, from stuff. And of course, Ernie uh, Carroll had started as a radio guy back in the 40s as well. So, I mean, he knew all the old, old stuff. Um, and, you know, Daryl was brought up in that. So it, there was a lot of vaudeville that came into the show, you know? Mm. Um, and it, it just, as I said, it just evolved. I mean, uh, who would have thought, you know, here's this kid show in Melbourne that started as a local kid show for three hours. It evolved into then a network across Australia kid show. It then went to nighttime at 9.30 at night. It then came back to 6.30 for two hours. Uh, then we were on Relay to New Zealand. We did too many cheap jokes, so that was delightful. <laughs> um, and we ended up, here we are in Hollywood. You know, we did two shows out of Warner Brothers. Now, the amazing thing was trying to explain to the Americans that it wasn't scripted. <laughs> right. The running sheet, and they went, you worry, it's not scripted. Uh, no, and explaining that it was a, a puppet and a guy that had lived for two hours and we had musical acts and all that stuff. And the running sheet was a double-sided double sided fool's cap page. And they went, what? Well, we just have segments. Like, we'll do this segment and then we'll have a commercial break. You what? <laughs> <laughs> what happens if it screws up? Well, we just keep going because it's live. Even if we tape the thing... We record it. We don't go back and do it again. It's done as live, if, even if it's recorded. Right? Seats, you know, warts and all. Part of the joy. <laughs> all this was, and it was the crew involvement. I mean, that was the magic. I mean, that was the magic of Channel 9 Melbourne. It was the Graham Kennedy um, crew and, and the crew that learned from the Graham Kennedy crew and, and, and it went on. I mean, Phil Lambert, the late finished Phil, Phil's just passed away. Phil was a floor manager. Phil was there for 50 years, retired three years ago, died this year about three or four months ago. And <clears throat> Phil was a floor manager, cameraman. He started, um, I was still at seven. So he, I think he was in the industry of a little, probably the late 60s. Um, and I got there in 72. So I knew Phil well and things. But Phil would always be, you know, Daryl would throw to him because he, he, was, a, he was a thespian, you know, I mean, he would throw to him and he would, he would lip sync um, a Wayne Newton song, you know, um, Donkey Shade, all in Donkey. <laughs> or he would do, uh, hey, Rocky, watch me pull out. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and I'd play down, 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 you know, and built every, every time, you know, in between the cards. He became a personality. Yeah. You know, one night, one morning, I'm 5.30 in the morning, I struggle out of bed, you know, Saturday morning, thinking, oh, God, you know. And I would get in there at about six o'clock to set everything up and uh, on air. And I thought, under the shower, I thought, ah, oh, Phil, there was a TV commercial on for drink driving in Melbourne. Oh, um, yes. 
Saturday cool. night. Du, du, du. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the TV was, this is Lucky Phil. That's right. Lucky Phil, Lucky Phil has just won at the pub. He's just won the chook raffle. That's he's right. just done it up. You know, he's just won at the races. <laughs> and then there's, in the video, there's the, uh, the, the old uh, red and blue lights behind him. That's this right. time, Phil, you're out of luck. You know, if you drink and drive, you're a bloody idiot. That's it. Anyway, I was thinking, this is Lucky Phil. Oh, how fantastic. I'm going to go. So I race him to videotape before the show. I lift that, this is Lucky Phil, off the commercial. And I just waited because they were always throwing the Phil. And I just thought, I'll just wait. And I quite often did this. I had, you know, brilliance. Sometimes I had these, you know, light bulb moments. I think. Just grab that. I'll grab this. I'll grab that. I'll just wait, you know, for the right timing. There are many things I would load and go, no, they're not going. And I just wait. And Daryl said, oh, Phil. And they just took, I waited for the director to take a shot of Phil. And I've gone, bang, this is like Phil. Well, <laughs> the, the saying stuck like shit to a blanket. And forevermore, he was known as Lucky Phil. Right? We- and it was just, yeah. It, it was amazing. So Lucky Phil became Lucky Phil forever. But it's just amazing the power of television and the involvement. But see, Hey Hey was special because we were all just having fun. <laughs> we forgot about the million odd people. Well, at some stage, I'm, I'm told there were four or five million people hanging off, right? And we just had fun. And we were naughty boys. Uh, I mean, John and I, our biggest mission in life was to make Daryl cry. Yes. Now, because he, every time, every so often he would just lose his shit on the show. <laughs> that was the magic, you know, let's, let's send that. And I'm, I mean, we started as a kid show. We ended up being a variety show, but we were sending up a variety show, you know, you know, um, you know, the three and six dollar, you know, our budgets, you know, you know, we're. You know, the Don Lane show might have a, you know, million-dollar budget. Well, we've got, you know, three and six, you know, all that. Mm. Um, 35 cents, you know, all that stuff. And um, uh, it worked. But people could relate to it. And, you know, the, the magic thing of television... I mean, radio's different, uh, as you know, especially community radio. I find radio fascinating because it's like an electronic bulletin board, you know? You're part of the community, You get, especially when you do talk back. You do, you know, you get people's feedback. You're entertaining people, but you're, you're uh, also educating them. You're informing them. That's that's the beauty of radio. Well, well I, I use that term very loosely. I like to think my um, guests educate, not so much me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but it is a lovely platform for a conversation. And, yeah. um, in fact, fun, yeah. the funny thing about that, too, really, is that um, Facebook has shown up the audience, whereas radio, you don't really know who's listening or no. watching you. Um, no, but you do see a visual, and I can, I'm looking at my Facebook feed now, and a lot of people give, giving you a shout-out, Murray, just loving um, all the memories that you're creating for them. So thanks for that. Well, it, but see, especially in COVID time, this is where we all need to pull together as a community. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I walk down the street with my mask, you know, I don't make it, and more people are going, hello, mm. hello, how are you? You know, mm. we're all communicating more than we were. We're not ignoring each other. Mm. It's a bit, it, it takes me back to that show in, uh, sorry, that scene in Crocodile Dundee where Paul Hogan's walking down New York Street going, g'day, 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 g'day. g'day. And, you know, that's the Australian way, you know? We're True. all pulling together, and this, this is what we need to do, you know? This is what our parents and our grandparents did, all pulled together, you know, to make the country great. It's fantastic. 
It is great. It, we have a great um, country, and we've got these wonderful legacies that uh, remind us of this. And I think you know that's that lovely part about that Hey Hey Show it does remind us the kind of personalities we are. I just love that story where you juxtapose it to the Americans because we we don't hold those same um, personal kind of serious no. seriousness. You know, we really know how to laugh at ourselves. I think. Well, and they're too, they're too polished. I mean, everything is just you know produced within an inch of its life. I mean, some of it works. Don't get me wrong, but you can over polish something, you know. Mm. And television, it, it sometimes works. I mean, there are certain shows. Hey, hey, was one of those examples that that broke the glass. Um, they talk about in television, you know, like breaking the glass wall that that separates the audience from the television, you know. And I mean. You know you're sitting in a, a in a dark, dark blacked-out room. Oh, it's How very cheery. The radio <laughs> studio, you know. And the TV studio is the same, you know. It's really a cold atmosphere. But if you can get the warmth in there and create something special and get it out to your audience, you've got magic. You've yeah. created magic, you know. Oh. And that's what art is. It's that, magic. That's you know? nice. Yeah, I, I, liked, I do you enjoy this kind of format. I can hear it in your voice. You know, you've got that. <laughs> No, you've got that. Okay. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but, you know, you've got that Joe business, you know? Well, I have a question for you, actually, because one of the things I would love to do if I didn't have too many electronic devices, which I'm terrible tech, I'm terrible, I always call myself yeah. a tech tart, but I love yeah. the Foley artist stuff. Now, did you yes. use live Foley material at all? Did you, because you talked no. about the door and a car door, that kind of thing, but. Yeah, yeah. That I, wasn't I, really I, a bag. I did actually have some uh, early in my career. Um, we didn't do Hey Hey in 1976, I think it was, or 77. I remember. Now. I think it was 77. Daryl went and did Bandstand. Oh. Revival of Bandstand, the uh, uh, the uh, Brian Henderson Bandstand, which is on in the 50s and 60s. And it was done out of Sydney. And it was when ABBA were really big, ABBA, uh, I think so. Hey, hey, wasn't done because he had to go to Sydney every Saturday uh, to do it. And it was network and it, it didn't really work. So we didn't do it. And the only reason I was staying around, because I was only staff at Channel 9 for three years. Um, and I was then freelance. So I ended up doing Hey, Hey for 22 years. And then I was out on parole. Um, and I've since been in the witness protection program and moved <laughs> to Sydney. I'm not allowed back in because Dan Andrews said, you can't come back. So see you, Dan. Um, no. You'll get me thrown off the air. I know. I know. Oh, it's okay. I'm not getting paid, so that's all right. Don't stress. Oh, please stay. Yeah, Dan. Yeah, good on you, Dan. We love you, Dan. Good on you, Dan. I'm locked down, Dan. Can I tell a joke? What's the difference between Dan Andrews and Dan Murphy? A couple of beers. No, Dan Murphy's delivered. Oh. Sorry. I'm going to give you some applause for that one. There we go. I've come prepared. Uh, Here we are. You can have a clap for your joke. I'm a bit slower than you. Yeah, come on. Look again, Jules. Okay, now, uh, where were we? Yeah, so Daryl thinks. So I went and worked at a place called um, Broadcast Exchange of Australia, uh, which became Media Sound, which became... Um, trying to think of the studio, Sing Sing Studios. Um, yep. It was in Channel Street. In fact, it was a purpose-built uh, recording studio where uh, Olivia Newton-John first recorded and Pat Carroll, um, which is uh, down near Como, down that way, um, and it was built 
up at University High School. What's that? Uh, Melbourne Boys High School, I think. Yeah, you know where I'm talking. I do. Anyway, I do. they originally were Broadcast Exchange of Australia, and they did a lot of the radio plays for um, the radio networks. And when I got there in 1976, they were still doing a radio program, a drama, full drama, for the ABC with Monty Mazels. And I was just amazed, a full studio with actors, live actors, and, as you say, Foley. Foley is a film um, term, and I'll explain that to you in a moment. But they had a live sound effects person with actual car doors on props like you would see in a film studio and uh, uh, house doors and bells and everything, all doing it live. And yeah. Some were off tape or some were, uh, some were you know, um, gravel pits for footsteps, like folly artists do, uh, footsteps on cement, all that stuff. Um, and I was just amazed because this was like 1940 radio. I just... I wasn't working on it, but I just used to go in and sit. I was working in the other studio. I would just sit and watch what these guys were doing because it was an old art form, which I thought had died and gone, but it was still alive as late as um, the mid-70s. So mm-hmm. there you go. Foley is more of um, <clears throat> building the... In Hollywood, they record the dialogue, and I spent a, a couple of... Well, well, a week in uh, Universal Studios uh, in the back lot with the audio guys. They re-record everything. They'll record the dialogue as a guide on location, and um, a lot of the stuff they shoot in, on their back lot. And the, and the reason they have to re-record it, of course, now because of the traffic noise and planes flying over and everything else. So they record all the dialogue yet again. So if there are you know five actors in a scene, they'll get every actor back in singly and record them. Then they build the whole soundtrack. So they build all the, the doorknobs, the, the footsteps, everything. That's mm. what Foley is. Mm. So a guy watches the screen and then he records in sync with the pictures all the movement, all the noises. That's what Foley is. Mm. So mm. that's a different art form as well, you know. Um, whereas I would do I would do that, but I would do it with electronic, well, tape, basically. Yeah. Now, I have a question from an audience member. Um, yep. I don't know much about this myself. So, and we've got about, well, you've got to fit it into five minutes because there is a program coming oh. on at 11. So yeah, I've oh, got my, I've got my oh, whip cracking sound. I'm ready to play. If you talk too long, I'm going to have to just, you know, <laughs> have a crack at you. <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> um, what are sound ears given that we're coming up to the football grand final next weekend? Uh, uh, sports ears, you mean? Sports ears. That's the one. Okay, when, after I finished Hey Hey, I finished Hey Hey in 1995. Um, Lindsay Ray, who was one of my, uh, one of the people I mentored and sat and waited for Murray to fall over, hoping that I would fall over a lot earlier than I did. Um, <laughs> when Ernie Carroll left, obviously he left in 94, uh, I left in 95. The show carried on till 99 and then it was cancelled, then it came back for a couple of revi- revival shows. But um, Lindsay had followed me for a number of years and used to come and sit with me and, and things. I mean, I had some interesting people sit in with me. Uh, Donny Osmond sat in with me one one week, one one show. He'd come on the show the week before and was just fascinated by it because he was in television production in Salt Lake City. And he and uh, his sister, of course, did a very successful American uh, variety show. But he was just fascinated. 
fascinated by the mechanics of the whole thing and just said, can I come and see? Sure. So here I am, Johnny Osmond sitting next to me while I'm playing sound effect, just watching everything I'm doing. You know, He was just a man. Lovely man. Lovely, absolutely lovely man. Um, so when I then came to Sydney uh, in 95 and all the time I was doing Hey Hey, I was doing it freelance, of course, and um, I was a sound recorder, so I had a real job and not just playing farts on television. Uh, I was doing um, TV commercials and uh, industrial documentaries. I mean, I spent a lot of time. I, one week I was at Broken Hill, 3,000 feet under the ground with ore miners. Um, I was with shearing sheds. I spent a week on an oil rig in the middle of that strait um, for Shell, doing you know lots of things, flying in helicopters, you know, things that I thought I would never do or and, and meeting people that I never thought I would meet. Mm. But having a fabulous time, uh, a great, and, um, you know, documentaries for the BBC on desert islands and, you know, God, you know, when I was a young boy. Anyway, um, when I moved, uh, I decided I always had a lot of audio clients and I'm running a, a rentals business for film, television, corporate communication, etc. I always had a lot of clients in Sydney, and when it was announced that the Sydney Olympic Games was coming in 2000, I thought, hmm, might be a time to open a Sydney office. So I came here at the end of 95 to open an office. I was never going to live in Sydney, but I ended up living in Sydney. Uh, so 26 years later, I'm still here, and uh, so I still have an office in Sydney, Melbourne, and before mm. COVID, I, I was, <clears> in, in the early days, for 20 years, I would do week about Sydney, Sydney, Melbourne, Sydney, Melbourne, Sydney, Melbourne. You know, I get giddy going backwards and forwards. And um, I still love Melbourne. I love Melbourne. I love Sydney. I love Melbourne. I love both of them. They're fantastic, you know, but so different in a lot of ways. Um, but I walked into a thing called Super League here, and it was a war between the rights of a rugby league. I hope you're listening, Graham Annesley. <laughs> uh, Graham Annesley actually said to me, Graham Annesley being the head of football, elite competitions for the NRL, which was originally Super League, um, Jules, he asked me if you're still receiving royalties from uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea. Oh. That, yeah, Jules Byrne, Jules Byrne. <laughs> yeah. I have had that since I was about five or six. People have asked me about that. Yes. And, and, and I said, that's very good. You should be a comedy writer who needs Mike McCall Jones. And he came back and he said, uh, your journey to the centre of mirth. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that. Actually, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a whole show on that. <laughs> yeah, you might get royalties, Graham, if you're good. So you, you don't give up your day job, Graham. So I anyway, don't have a day uh, job. <laughs> no, I'm saying Graham, and uh, so hello, Graham, if you're listening uh, on the Gold Coast. Um, uh, so I walked into this thing called thing. It was a, a, a war about TV rights for, and it was just when Foxtel. And Optus Vision, if you remember, started. Yes. And it was war over TV rights for um, Super League, for Rugby League. And uh, so I met Rick Birch, and Rick Birch was a TV producer ex-Melbourne, ABC, and worked at Channel 9 for a little while. And he was um, involved in getting it up and running for Rupert Murdoch, and he later went on to do the opening. Uh, he was the executive producer of the opening of the Olympics. Anyway... Um, as it was, and then there was a court uh, injunction against Murdoch and uh, Packer for 12 months. But I was um, invited to do um, entertainment stuff, play sound effects on Super League. They mm. wanted to get a, 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 fill, a, a crowd uh, and a family back to, to Rugby League. 
and, you know, razzmatazz and showbiz and all that stuff. I wonder why they picked me. And um, I was also then introduced to Graham Annesley, who was a referee at the time, head referee. Um, and he asked me about um, what I knew about referee uh, communication. And I said, well, if you teach me about um, rugby league communication uh, or rugby league uh, and referees, I'll teach you about audio and communication. So... In the end, I ended up uh, inventing a thing called MatchCom, which is a communication device so all the referees can talk to the video referee. And it was because of that they were uh, able to introduce a video ref into uh, rugby league. Mm. Uh, and that's still used to this very day. And um, then it was adopted by a rugby union. So I still provide it to uh, New Zealand and uh, other parts of the world. And the AFL adopted it in 2007, but the AFL, of course, um, wanted to do it cheaper, and I only did it for 10 years with the AFL. But during that time, when I learned about rugby league, by and the way I learned about rugby league and, and the rules were was listening to the referee, because I had no idea being a Melbourne boy caught up on AFL. Yeah. But listening to the referees, I then learned the rules, and I invented the thing called Sports Ears. Now, what Sports Ears is, and it still runs, is you buy a radio, it's an FM radio, when you're not at the game, when you go to the game, you can listen to the TV commentary or the referee. So how, as it works, oh. you can listen to the TV commentary in both ears or you can listen to the referees in both ears or you can listen to the TV commentary in one ear and the referees in the other. So, so we'll just cut can... everything out and you just hear the referees? Yeah, oh. correct. Okay. Uh, and I did that for, I still do it for Australia, a rugby league in uh, Australia and New Zealand and I still do it for... Uh, rugby union in Australia and New Zealand, but we don't do the AFL anymore. And did you design, did you design that? Is that is that an invention of yours? Yes, then I ah. designed that. So that came off the back of Matchcom, which was the referee communication or the umpire communication. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For, for people who would like to know more about Murray's business, um, you have your own um, Murray Tregoning and Associates based. It's based in Sydney, but you've got offices here in Melbourne. Is that right? Yes, I have, and, and <clears> the Gold Coast. Yep. So. Uh, so www.murraytregoning.com.au will find me. Yep. Or if you're looking for sports news, it's um, sportsnews.com.au. And can we grab one last uh, quick story from you, if you would? Um, and I'd love to have you on again. Oh, just fabulous radio. Um, everybody's getting lots of comments. And um, Shirley Smith, thank you for your messages and Stan on the odd um, system coming through there. Um, just uh, you must have been rushing shoulders with so many different personalities and talents. Um, have you got have you got a funny story about having to mic someone up or something unusual that's happened? I'm sure you've got plenty of them, but is there one that springs to mind? Oh, um, the ones that I can tell on air. Yeah, I, I will tell one. Um, you can I tell was, them all. <laughs> probably uh, Janet Holmes, of course, one of my favourites. Um, the Children Television Foundation, Children Television Workshops and Foundation. Yes, they had made a program that was sold to America. And when the Bushes came, uh, as in the President Bush and his wife, they, um, uh, Patricia Edgar, I think it's the head of the the um, television workshop in Carlton, and um, the Mrs. Bush was coming, press conference, and we were, and also um, Janet Holmes, of course, was on the board. Um, as Steve Weisard was on the board. Now, uh, interesting mix of people. Mm-hmm. And um, you cannot put a radio mic on a member of the royal family or a president or a president, you know, first lady. 
Right. So okay. Janet Holmes, of course, was standing next to Mrs. Bush. I'm organising all the audio to go to all the press, which I quite often got involved with this with AGMs and uh, and, and uh, prime ministers and other people that I've met along the way. I've, you know, I've met and worked with four prime ministers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I said to to Mrs. Holmes, of course, she said, call me Janet. I went, yes, Janet. I go in and um, I, I need to put a radio mic on. Now, the normal place you put a radio mic on a woman is on the top of the bra uh, between her cleavage. And I said, look, I need to... She said, fine. So we go into the boardroom and they're there. I said, I need to put the transmitter pack properly in the back of your panties. She went, not a problem, Murray. That's fine. La, la, la. So as I'm doing this and I'm up under the back of her dress, Steve Bizard walks into the boardroom and said, what are you doing? What are you doing to Mrs. Holmes, of course? And she turns around and says, Steve, shut up. I'm enjoying it. True story. Boom, Steve Steve and I never worked together in television. I wish we had him. That'd be very Um, funny. he He was also on the board of Telstra at one stage. And I'm doing the Telstra AGM and I'm going along and it was at the tennis centre, you know, big audience. And I'm going along checking all the mics. And about four, it was like the last supper. There were 14 microphones and fold-back speakers. And I'm just doing the last check, being the audio director, just checking everything's in place. And I hear elephants. Why don't we do elephants, Buzz? This is really brighten up this boring piece of shit. All right? And I, I looked up <laughs> at Spizer. What are you doing here? And he went, I'm a board member. <laughs> and I went, oh, God, I'll let anybody in. He said, but I think we should do a few sound effects. You know, it was very funny. Very him, Very funny. I love this device. It's very funny. Naughty, but very funny. Well, well, look, congratulations on your 50 years and for the Hey Hey 50 50 years. We look forward to seeing, and a lot of people commenting this morning that they'd love to see repeats of the show. Certainly that kind of material jollies us all up in, uh, you know, times when we probably can't do what we'd like to be doing. That sort of nostalgia really makes us grin. So um, thank you so much for coming on the program today. What a lovely treasure of stories you are. Um, and if yeah. I can point, if I can point people towards that, um, aceta.org, aceta.org.au, yeah, sure. there's a, there's an hour interview of Murray if you've been enjoying this morning's program and he talks about a whole bunch of history that's really worth listening to. And it's a shame that we don't have more of this on our mainstream radio. It'd be a much cheerier world. Um, thank you again for joining us. Big round of applause for you. I've got that ready to go. There you go. <laughs> it's on. Are you sure? Yes. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And um, uh, and we've got one more song to play out. But thanks again for joining us today. And all the very, very best with, um, well, whatever next uh, programs you're working on. It's uh, been a treat to have you. And to Louis Hesterman, big shout out to you for uh, work behind the scenes to get this to come to air today. We really do appreciate your help. Here's one for you. What have you got there? I don't know if you heard it. That was the Warner Brothers play. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you, Louis Hesterman. Yeah. Uh, darling, thank you. Uh, thanks for reaching out. And uh, people up there in the uh, in the uh, Mount Dandenong Ranges and, the, and across Melbourne, uh, love you all. Uh, look out after each other and stay safe. We will do. We'll play out with this little uh, nod to you as well. Catch you again. Thanks very much for your time, Murray. Thanks, Jules. Cheer- Bye. Cheerio. Bye, guys.